Six minutes before 8 p.m., you tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's the second part of our business wrap, and I guess maybe a combination of that in our headlines tonight, because we check in with the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition on the latest raft of measures uh, that have been put into place to try and stem the tide of uh, uh, the stripping of public infrastructure, um, I guess uh, in no large part due to the... Um, uh, favorable price environment, one might think, of scrap metals uh, in global markets, uh, which is certainly triggering massive demand um, on the more illicit side of things for uh, these kinds of assets and the stripping uh, of some of these for copper and all manner of other high-value goods. Joined on the line tonight to uh, talk about uh, these measures as they were announced earlier on today by Stephen Hannibal. He is the chief economist out at the DTIC. Stephen, good evening. Welcome. Uh, good evening, Ayabonga, and good evening to your listeners. Thank you very much, Stephen. Maybe just before we start with what the measures involve and entail, just paint a picture for us of the scale of the problem. I think many of us would know, many of our listeners, we talk about this all of the time on the show, of uh, the impact on passenger rail, the impact on electricity supply, the impact on all manner of public goods, of the stripping of our infrastructure and its sale in scrap. Um, what's the scale of, I guess, the problem that these measures were seeking to respond to? Well, I, I wonder the, the, the scale, um, according to the research that we've commissioned, um, is, is really massive. Um, during the press conference this morning, Minister Gordon uh, mentioned that uh, just in the last financial year, ESCOM seen almost a thousand uh, kilometers of uh, copper cables stolen, mm. uh, something in the order of about 700 kilometers of, of copper cables being stolen. Um, if you look at the uh, the cost to transnet, um, around about 2 billion rand uh, in revenue was lost last year. Um, if you look at the overall impact on the economy, just at a, at a financial level, the research suggests we're looking at about 47 billion rand um, per year. Now, what, what's not included in that is the uh, the inconvenience that uh, many of our communities, many workers have experienced because trains aren't able to run mm. on time, uh, trains are cancelled. In many cases, workers are forced to look at alternative transport arrangements like taxis, which are often a little bit more expensive yeah. than trains. Yeah. Um, and of course, you've got the, the, the real risk to public health in uh, particularly townships where you know, you've had electricity cables cut uh, and left live by criminals mm. in, in the course of the night. Yeah. Um, so we think that the, we think that there's a, a financial cost to the economy, but there's certainly also a inconvenience and a, and a, a danger to mm. uh, to the lives of our communities yeah. as well. Stephen, it, it seems in response, um, it's not only the DTIC as you were saying, but the DPE, the Department of Transport, and even the uh, South African Police Service. Um, and customs and everybody else that are trying to respond to this. So let's maybe unpack it in two legs. The, the first one is the trade policy response. And I'd be interested to hear, I guess, what that will involve in this raft of measures. And then we also know there are also uh, elements of the measures that are aimed at bolstering the law enforcement response and the monitoring and enforcement element uh, of uh, the set of measures. So let's start with the trade side and we'll come back, I guess, to the law enforcement leg. Absolutely. So, so I think the, the, the trade side is, if anything, the, the easier uh, part for, uh, for government to implement. Um, the Minister of Trade, Industry and Competition has the legal mandate within the International Trade Administration Act uh, to impose 
restrictions on exports of certain products and also to uh, impose restrictions on imports of certain products. So on the export side, uh, what the, the Minister of uh, Trade, Industry and Competition is intending to do is to uh, impose a, a six-month export prohibition mm. on uh, particularly uh, copper uh, waste and scrap exports, um, as well as uh, ferrous metal uh, uh, waste and scrap exports. There will be some exceptions um, for uh, ferrous metals that are uh, produced in the course of a manufacturing process, which really gives us a little bit of comfort that you know those sources of scrap metal can be verified. And so uh, if it comes from a manufacturing process, we're not, we're not talking about metal that uh, has been uh, uh, transferred under the cover of darkness uh, and that is likely to have been um, stolen. So, so those are the first two big interventions uh, on the trade policy side that essentially come into effect uh, uh, from uh, midnight today. Uh, the measures have been gazetted um, and essentially from tomorrow, Unless uh, companies have an export permit uh, already in their possession for mm. copper scrap and ferrous scrap, um, none of that will be allowed to leave the country uh, from tomorrow. Um, Just a quick one, Stephen. Do many of these traders still have to offer it to South African players? I know there was a, uh, a system in place where you had to kind of show nobody wants the scrap in the country before you're able to then go to the next phase of getting a permit for its export. Um, is that still in place? Uh, so, I wonder that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. The, um, the, what's called the price preference system um, is suspended for a scrap that's been, uh, that's been prohibited from export. So, essentially, from tomorrow for the next six months, there'll be no exports of uh, copper uh, waste and scrap mm. and uh, most forms of ferrous uh, waste and scrap as well. And so, the, the PPS, as it's called, as well as the export tax, um, will be suspended. Um, as soon as the uh, the uh, prohibition on export is lifted, then of course both of those measures uh, uh, come back into play. And for any uh, waste that's exported that is allowed to be exported during the temporary prohibition, uh, the PPS will uh, will continue to apply. So, for example, there'll be there'll likely be small amounts of uh, uh, exotic metals. Uh, and probably um, a bit of stainless steel and aluminium mm. that will be allowed to be exported uh, during the six-month prohibition. And in those cases, the PPS will, uh, and as well as the export tax, will continue to apply. Stephen, what do you say to some of the entities? I mean, there's, there's a few reports that have come out saying, look, you know, to use trade policy for what is essentially a criminal matter is to assume that it's, you know, the global trade that is triggering the demand on the theft side of things. Uh, and many are arguing actually a big part of the, uh, you know, where all of the stolen stuff is sold is in the domestic market. What would you say to that? Well, I want to, there's, there's been quite a bit of research done on this. I mean, one, one of the, the pieces of research that, that many commentators have pointed to is the fact that uh, we've had relatively few uh, applications for export permits for copper to be exported over the last mm. few years. Um, but, of course, we know that our uh, copper infrastructure um, has been stripped in that time. So there, there certainly is an element of uh, copper scrap in particular is leaving the country uh, either mislabeled as something else or disguised, uh, actively disguised by, by these criminal syndicates that are 
um, stripping our, our public infrastructure. So in, in, I think, the view of the department, and we've looked at what other countries have done, and I don't think it's a black and white matter where we can say, well, this is a pure criminal issue. Mm. Um, I think the reality is that the demand for scrap metal has been driven by the fact that metal commodity prices have been relatively high for the last couple of years. I mean, to be frank, we've known that there's public infrastructure being damaged by criminal syndicates for quite a few years, um, but the scale of it has really accelerated in the last, I would say, two to three years. And so we have to look at all kinds of, of measures, policy instruments that are available to government. And in this case, trade policy uh, is an important lever because it's one way for government to manage the demand side. You know, of course, you know, the measures are not only on the trade policy side, um, on the on the broader supply side, um, the South African Police Service has been significantly ramping up its enforcement activities. Mm. Um, and just to touch on the question that you that you'd um, alluded to earlier, in the in the broader set of interventions, uh, one of the key things that the police have come forward and said to us is we've got seven thousand registered scrapyard metal dealers in South Africa. Now, as you can imagine, they're probably Quite a few more than that that have not been registered. registered yes, yeah. but seven thousand is quite a lot, and the police simply don't have the capacity to uh, enforce um, uh, the the checking of where the metal originates from at every one of those scrapyards. So the additional measures that we're looking at uh, introducing will really help to identify what are the top hundred or top two hundred scrapyards or metal recyclers where in terms of the reporting system that will be introduced, we see suspicious transactions. So a scrapyard that's selling more scrap metal than it's buying will immediately raise some red flags mm. for the SAPS and for, for DTIC and suggest that we need to go and have a look at you know, where that additional scrap metal has been sourced from. Um, now, of course, we're not painting all scrapyards with that negative brush, um, but we do know that there are a significant number of scrapyards that are, let's say, skating on the edge of legality mm. in the way that they, they operate. Um, so that's really the second phase of the interventions where we'll be using quite careful analysis of what scrapyards are buying, what they're selling, what volume, yeah. uh, what kinds of products. And we hope that will help to uh, narrow the, uh, the enforcement burden yeah. a little bit for the police. Because, of course, we don't want the police dealing with this issue while there are serious crimes mm. like murder, rape, armed robberies that the police also have to look at. Um, Stephen, so ju- remind them yeah, of that. Yeah. J- just as we wrap up, I mean, we also know that many scrap dealers, when they buy the stuff, from what I would call ad hoc buyers or ad hoc sellers of the stuff. So somebody, you know, Ayabonga walks in, you know, with um, some kilogram of scrap. They normally pay for that in cash. Uh, that's something you're also looking at as well. Um, to what degree? So, so Ayabonga, in the, in the third phase of the measures, we are looking at um, prohibiting uh, cash for scrap um, because we do think that once we... Uh, make those transactions traceable. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll stand a much better chance of being able to identify, you know, where the illicit um, uh, collection is is taking place. But I do want to stress. I mean, for us, you know, in looking at the scale of the problem, our, our concern is not so much the individual waste picker pushing his or her trolley down the street in uh, in a suburb in South Africa. Mm. The, the reality is to to steal a railway line or a, a kilometer of copper cable is, is not something that the average waste picker can do. Mm. Um, it requires sophisticated tools. It requires a degree of 
um, uh, understanding of when the line is live. And, of course, the transport, you know, a kilometer of rail line is, you know, it weighs a couple of, a couple of tons. That's not something that your average uh, informal waste picker can yeah. do. So we, we, we're mindful that, you know, those waste pickers play an important role in many townships, in many suburbs, collecting scrap that would otherwise be uh, 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 polluting our environment. We, we're really concerned that we have to look at the large-scale criminal syndicates where the biggest damage is being done. And there, the uh, prohibition on cash for scrap, which we hope to come in in phase three of the measures, that's where we think the, the major victories will be, um, will be won. Um, so we, we appreciate the waste pickers. We appreciate the, mm. uh, the important work that they do. The fact that these are important livelihoods, almost always the only income for, for many households. And we, we're not in any way targeting them. We want them to be partners of the department and of the SAPS in identifying the large-scale stripping of our infrastructure uh, that has the major damage on, on the mm. economy. Stephen, we leave it there for tonight. Thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Ayabonga. Bye-bye now. Cheers. Stephen Hannibal is the Chief Economist out at the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition, giving us the latest insofar as that particular matter is concerned. Do let us know. What will this mean, I guess, uh, for the type of Izinyoranyoga that have had a massive implication on our ability to access public services? It might be passenger trains, it might be electricity, it might be substations, it might be... You know, any of the other infrastructure that is stripped for copper or any high-value metals that are found therein. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.